you're going to see the interview everyone is going to be talking about. Wagon wheel, what to see? What do I think of her? Yes. I don't think of her. Then we become divas as opposed to just strong women. Ah, oh, coughing during my interview, really? It feels uh, reductive. And welcome to Big Diva Energy, a podcast about people being fucking extralent. Uh, I'm Holly. I'm obsessed with divas. This is my husband, Tom. He's also here. May the force be with you. Thank you. I'm trying to work out what it means to be a diva, and more specifically, what it means to possess big diva energy. Because I think if you have to ask what it is, then you simply don't have it. So today, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the life of the one and only Carrie Fisher. Uh, Carrie's obviously best known as Princess Leia in Star Wars. Uh, the fierce, brave rebel princess made her an icon of female strength and fueled a thousand problematic slave girl fantasies. But there is so much more to her than a cinnamon bun hairdo and a gold bikini. Fisher's bravery and candour as an advocate for greater mental health awareness, her hilarious and powerful fiction and autobiographical literary and dramatic works, plus her often overlooked status as a prolific script doctor, are some of the reasons why I want to celebrate her as a feminist icon, an inspiration and an irrefutable possessor of BDE. Because one man's diva is another person's icon. And who better to join me today to discuss the feminist legacy of Carrie Fisher than two straight cis white dudes with beards? Joining us today we have an acclaimed writer-performer A man whose Songs of Friendship trilogy has toured internationally And even been published by Oberon Books But he's probably best known for his performance as the eponymous boy who wouldn't grow up In both his own life and Peter Pan at the Millfield Arts Centre Edmonton 2011 it's James Rowland! Yes, James! Hello, hello. Here Hi, James. Hi, darling. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's an absolute treat. <laughs> Sorry, Tom, I just dropped my pen. He's dropped a fucking pen. Tom, <laughs> right. Tom doesn't like the uh, ambient noise. <laughs> or we're in Tottenham, so he's going to have to get used to it. Already seething. <laughs> I'm fine with it. <laughs> 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 right, babe, we've got some questions for you. Uh, Fantastic. We, we're trying to ask these to everybody. Yeah. A few questions that we need to know. I will always love you. Who is your favourite diva? My favourite diva, who I'm not going to be talking about yes. today, yeah. is Celine Dion. Yes, oh. why Celine? Because she's really quite mad, but in a, such a beautiful, kind way. Oh, she's, a, she's extraordinary. Um, I, so I, obviously, I'm a huge appreciator for her work. Yeah. Um, when I go on tour quite a lot, I'm in old cars, and I like to go to charity shops and pick up CDs to play. Oh, that's a um, nice thing to do. Um, and uh, so I think I've got four or five collections of different Celine Dion CDs, um, because I'm always like, well, I will listen to that again. Um, yeah. Also, one of the happiest hungover days of my life was after I got really obliterated, but bizarrely jet-settingly for someone who's not travelled very much, in a, a place in, in Vietnam, and then spent the entire next day watching the Celine Dion documentary <gasps> on loop. I watched it three times. Watched Amazing. it three the times backstage in a row. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I watched it three times in a row. Uh, it was beautiful. She's perfect. She is absolutely perfect. <laughs> is that the one that has a young man, and she, at one point she comes around the corner backstage, and he's performing an impression of her to everyone? And then <laughs> I later, remember, but yeah, that sounds about I think right. It's, if it's the same one that I watched, and then later on she's um, talking to uh, so, like so he's ends up and he's having a conversation with someone else, and this other guy who's going goes, "It worked, Jerry. Get over it." <laughs> <laughs> so good. He's basically yeah, he's relaying the information to them. He's I like, just, oh, I was doing this, and Celine came around the corner, and she was like, all into it. It worked, Jerry. Get over it. <laughs> I just 
remember the first, yeah, the first, watching it the first time, be like, this is fantastic, and then stopping, and then the TV channel starting to play it again, and just being like, well, of course we're going to watch it again. <laughs> not mad. <laughs> and then I not enjoy anything. And then like maybe 10, 15 minutes into it, being like, this so isn't going to be the last time we watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yours was better. <laughs> yours was an actual joke, whereas ours was very a very serious life commitment and an entire day of my time on this earth. There is nothing wrong with committing to Celine. You my know. friend Mike is going to see her three times next year, oh once gosh. in Beirut. Unbelievable. Yeah, because he's everything. <laughs> if you could turn back time, mm. what diva would you send into what situation in the past? Okay. Batty in the Blitz, for instance. <laughs> okay, well, that's catchy. Mine is... Uh, so, well, for a start, I would say... You can't fuck about with chaos theory. That's um, very true. And I think that this is a very irresponsible experiment. You totally um, share that. <laughs> but if we're going to try and change the way that things work, I have gone for what I think is probably um, the most responsible use of this very important power, which mm-hmm. is we're going to go 70,000 years into the past. Um, when uh, the early human woman, who every single human being not from sub-Saharan Africa is descended from, mm-hmm. uh, crossed over in uh, from Africa into Europe. Uh, we're going to go there. We're going to replace her with Liza Minnelli. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I think I might be the one woman who is descended from Liza somehow happened yeah 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 I love this idea right so what would bringing if we were all a bit more Liza what would be the quality that we would I just don't know (laughs) (laughs) I think it's very hard to end game exactly what happened but I'd like to be a part of it To be fair, I think that woman is the first diva, yeah. so it should be Liza, yeah. the best, the greatest, the most crazy. Hi, guys! <laughs> would everyone talk like that? Yes. yes. Everybody would talk like that! We would have invented sequence so much earlier. Hello, early humans, you're terrific. Because she's possessed. <laughs> to, to, to say something like oh you've invented the wheel well done oh you, Jesus Christ you invented the wheel <laughs> that is terrific it's terrific that's terrific <laughs> oh that's just great <laughs> wouldn't it be wonderful it's amazing it's such a good idea <laughs> yeah oh okay oh dear oh. <laughs> material girl what's Ooh. on your rider okay so my rider is so I'm endgaming that obviously that I'm playing big stadium sure very much uh that is bde yeah very very human i'm a very human person i'm very people centric i care about i think even you know were i sort of performing that sort of scale i'd still really care about everybody so i'd insist that before every show all of the venue staff and everyone had a big dinner together oh. um, but i'd insist there was also a food fight course <laughs> The food is only so, so you can fight it's like, it. I think that really, I think that it's that really... feels like that contains both elements of my personality. One which is quite nice, and the other which is absolutely infuriating and <laughs> very annoying for quite a lot of people. <laughs> but also, you'd be paying the staff double because they'd have to clear it up. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what a treat it is to treat. know that some the cleaners in the venue would be there going, "Oh, I don't want to. Do- oh, I've gonna. This is literally the worst." <laughs> oh. <laughs> And you'd be there in a floor-length mink, being like... <laughs> Roaring. Covered in gravy. 
<laughs> crusted with gravy. Ramming mushy peas down the throat of my PA. Which <laughs> is their favourite food. So they are sort of loving it. Having the time of their lives. Also joking. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Uh, who run the world? Which diva do you put in charge of the world? Um, oh, it's, it's, it's Beyonce. She's she's coming out on top. Tell us why. Um, just honestly, the thing about quite a lot of other div- not all divas, mm-hmm. but I, honestly, the idea of them running the world <laughs> is slightly risible and terrifying. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Whereas Jenny, I think she'd probably do a much better job than anyone who's currently doing it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's the obvious choice, but because it's the one that works. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. So we've proven. <laughs> I think this, at this point it's becoming like a, a PSA. Can we please get somebody? <laughs> can, we just, can we just do can it? Can we just cut the fucking shit and get Beyonce in charge of this? Bebe 2024. Bebe 24. Yeah. I'd have. I'd take Solange as like vice as well. Yeah. As a running mate. Yeah. Nice. That'd yeah. be a team. And Tina doing the matching costume. <laughs> oh, that campaign Lovely. trail would be absolutely blazing. Yes, please, James. Yeah. When have you, if ever, been a bit of a diva? Oh, well, I, d- I definitely have. I mean, I always think it's quite funny with celebrities, the way that people are like, well, they're a dickhead. And they're like, because obviously, like, you, nobody's like good all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, the thing is, you, you always remember other people's transgressions. <laughs> you remember your own. Um, <laughs> but you did reference, actually, the instance I would say where I definitely, which was um, when I was uh, in my second job out of drama school, um, Peter Pan in a uh, pantomime in the Millfield Arts Centre. And I'll, I'll do the, I'm so I'll delighted. Do, I'll do the abridged version of the story, but essentially, I got very, 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 very drunk with my friends the day before. I invented a drink, actually, called the Teenage Guinness, which is uh, a, a bit like the Baby Guinness, uh, except it's uh, a double of Tia Maria, a double of Bailey's and a double of Jameson's, all in a half-pint glass that you've had to decant them into. The police are coming, because that's <laughs> completely irresponsible. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, then I got thrown out of a bar, um, carried literally bodily out the bar by a bouncer, because I, I couldn't remember, my hands couldn't remember how to play the piano. Um, my brain could my hands couldn't. It was the players, um, wasn't it? Yeah, but I also couldn't stop. I also couldn't <laughs> stop doing with trying. Players bar what in Charing Cross? Uh it, well, no, it actually wasn't it was the artist bar downstairs Ooh. in Soho, yeah. No, it wasn't the players. Ooh. No. Um bad bad time. But then I woke up for a morning show at at ten AM. I woke up at half past nine, Christ. which was obviously the very latest I should have been there. And it took uh took me uh, thirty five minutes to get to the theatre, so I arrived after the show had begun. Um <laughs> And then did a whole show, very drunk, still very, very drunk. Uh, and then had a little break before the matinee, the afternoon matinee, which I did very, very hungover. And the moment... Oh, I was playing the character of Peter Pan, sorry, in Peter Pan. Um, so you were on a fair bit. Yeah, I was... I was yeah, I was the main character. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, I did quite a lot of flying in the show, obviously, because Peter Pan uh, can fly. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the panel right. just fly wherever. It just you've got to think happy thoughts. And I tell you what, I was fresh out of them. I was so hungover. 
<laughs> I was absolutely fresh out. The end of the first half involved me doing flips in the harness for the first time in the show. Uh, and as I did my first flip, a belly full of bile appeared in my mouth. And I realised that if I slowed down, I, I'd be letting it all go and just become a Catherine wheel of vomit. So instead of, instead of stopping, which was the cue for the first half to finish, <laughs> what I had to do was continue spinning in the harness, which meant that I was just spinning in the harness to silence for what felt like 30 or 40 years. Until they eventually turned the lights down and closed the curtains, at which point I unloaded my entire stomach on Tiger Lily from a height of three metres in the air. <laughs> and honestly, which diva among us would not be proud of a moment like that? In my head, you know how like when Gaga was on the, uh, the Star Wars board press trip, she kept saying the same story? Yeah. There are 99 people in a room. And one, in my head, when you reach international fame, it'll be that story that you'll be asked to say again and do, again. Do that one again. <laughs> Translated to every language in the world. And still Bradley Cooper will be sat next to you looking confused. <laughs> It'd be like Tom Hiddleston's shitty dance. I'll insist on it. In fact, I'd like to change my rider. <laughs> I must be allowed to tell my story. No, I'd like Bradley sh- Cooper to sit next to me and look confused for the rest of my life. <laughs> when I heard this story, I mean, James is a very dear friend. He, in fact, married us. Um, but I only heard this this piece of joy about two weeks ago. And I think I've thought about it once or twice a day since... <laughs> There's nothing yeah. more diva than pantomime. <laughs> Fact. Yeah. <laughs> oh, amazing. And on that note, <laughs> boys, girls, and NBs, we're going to have a little break. Thank you very much. I enjoy cooking bacon and stop working with flyer. Hi, guys. Uh, it's me, Holly. Um, we would really love a sponsor so uh, we can turn the heating on. Um, if you'd like to sponsor us, that'd be fantastic. Um, some of my celebrity mates have dropped in. Uh, here's Anastasia with a, a, a quick word. And I wonder if you know how it really feels to be left outside alone without a sponsor. And we're back. Now, uh, Tom, you wanted to clear clear something up. Just to be really clear, James Rowland <laughs> is not married to the pair of us. <laughs> Despite the <laughs> syntactical <laughs> error of volume. No, you performed our wedding ceremony. Yeah. It was very beautiful. Yeah. But life's a long, long thing, so... Life is... Don't rule anything out, guys. Absolutely. <laughs> Some are too long. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going to talk about Carrie Fisher. Carrie Francis Fisher was born in Burbank, California in 1956 to some really low-key humble farming. No, of course she wasn't. She was born to Debbie Reynolds and Eddie Fisher. Uh, Debbie was unconscious when Carrie was born because pre-epidural, the only pain relief was general anaesthetic. Uh, Eddie Fisher passed out at the side of the placenta, setting up a bit of a theme for her parents' involvement in her life. So if anyone doesn't actually know who Debbie Reynolds is, turn this podcast off now. You should not be listening. No, don't want uh, you. But other than that, uh, Eddie Fisher was a singer. Yeah. Uh, Debbie was 19 when she played Kathy Selden in Singing in the Rain, the same age as Carrie was when she filmed A New Hope, and she was obviously ageless when she gave her Bobby Adler in the greatest sitcom of all time, Will and Grace. James, are you obsessed? With Debbie Reynolds? Yeah. I'm not, no, no. Uh, Will I'll, you be shortly? Yeah, I, if it's uh, if I, I get to talk about Carrie Fisher at the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I want to circle I'm back sorry. to Edmonton for a couple more shows. <laughs> no, um, I, I love Singing in the Rain. I think she's wonderful. But um, in that, uh, my knowledge of her is not huge, like, not huge, though. So. No, no um, we I, will I think she her. seems great. And also, having read a lot more of 
Carrie Fisher and learn a lot more about that. You le- get to learn quite a lot about Debbie Reynolds through that, and uh, it's a pretty amazing mother-daughter relationship. You've re- read a lot of Carrie's work. Know about her boobs. Know all about those lovely boobs. Yeah. So Carrie is effectively Hollywood royalty, uh, but unlike actual royalty, she's very clever and not in any way pointless. Hmm. Uh, Carrie, however, was all too aware of her humble beginnings, writing, I was from the street, unfortunately. That street happened to be Rodeo Drive. So Eddie and Debbie were best friends with a producer called Mike Todd and Elizabeth Taylor, uh, who we'll almost certainly cover at some point. Uh, Todd died tragically in a plane crash, and Eddie Fisher was there in Liz's hour of need, or as Carrie put it, my father was right by her side, gradually making his way to her front. And Carrie was just two when her parents split up, but the impact of this uh, Hollywood scandal I didn't, can't really be underestimated. Mm. These are the real... Star Wars, so to speak, uh, mm. I suppose is the nearest equivalent we have. Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. I think it probably. I mean, it was a well, huge Jennifer scandal and a huge sort of because like, they Debbie and Eddie were the golden couple of their age, weren't they? They were this sort of fresh-faced, beautiful pair, and I think his career never really got, you know, got back to where it was pre. Oh, too busy shagging and taking speed. It increases your productivity in some ways. Well, I mean, if you're by you mean sperm productivity, I guess I imagine it's a real healthy, um, real healthy guy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that is exactly the Angelina Jolie is exactly the one that Carrie Fisher uses in her book. Does she? Yeah, she does. Yeah, she does an amazing flow chart of um, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> The Hollywood incest that oh, led man, it to is her. amazing. It's one of the best standalone pieces of genealogy that has ever been written. Uh, so Liz and Eddie were married for about six years, and then she met Burton, as uh, Carrie goes into in in her uh, genealogy section. Uh, Eddie married a few million times more and was pretty peripheral to Carrie and her brother Todd's, named after Mike Todd, Todd's lives. Uh, he eventually had so many facelifts that Carrie joked he looked like he was of Chinese heritage, mm. and he. Lived and died in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Lived and died in Chinatown. Yeah. Yeah, the end of his life. The last woman he married was Chinese. Who he had a really beautiful, lasting, emotional connection with. Yeah. Which is nice to, you know... I think... How old was he? Uh, Did you just say? 129. 125, yeah. 127. No, I don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, Taylor left him for Burton, so he... He also experienced a really traumatic breakup as well. Yeah. Just because, you know, we, we obviously we live and die for Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> to be left for one, probably one of the greatest Hollywood romances of all time. Yeah, be totally sidelined, actually, in, in, in all of his relationships. Yeah. That were the reason for his fame more than his actual work or anything. Exactly. Um, yeah, and but yeah, actually, at the end of his life, he and Carrie became a lot closer she she was like I think the thing she said is it became a mother-son relationship not a father-daughter one um, because that was the option of the relationship that I had with him well, like, she was the maternal one yeah. towards him she looked after him yeah she I think it's something we'll come back to isn't it but Carrie being a caregiver and a caretaker is something that is quite prevalent throughout her life absolutely, absolutely. Uh, which is amazing yeah mm. so she didn't hold a grudge uh, but Carrie wrote a TV movie called Old Broads, starring Debbie and Elizabeth, in which they joked about their shared ex-husband. Which I would urge you to find a clip of on YouTube, because it's it's Elizabeth Taylor, uh, it, it's latter-day Liz. Uh, it's a big performance. Uh, <laughs> it's it's not small, but they, it's, it's, it's well worth a Google. Is it funny enough to watch it now? 
so we can talk it's quite about long, it. But yeah. Oh my We've jumped back in having watched a bit of old broads. Um I think she really I think she really covered up that it was about Eddie Fisher. <laughs> I don't think you'd know. One of the most haunted pieces of tape available in the entire universe. <laughs> De- Debbie is very poor in it as well. Yeah. I don't think Debbie's poor. In it. I don't in I mean, that. It's nothing compared with Bobby Adler, but it's no, but essentially they've been reanimated for it. I don't vote with them. They know. I don't. It's not. It's not like oh, well, let's get these two people in the prime of their lives to to. I imagine read off an autocue. Yeah. <laughs> so Carrie grew up in the middle of Hollywood chaos, uh, performing with her mum on Broadway as her backing singer, because that's not going to in any way trigger any issues with your mum. Uh, and then she came to London to study at the Central School of Speech and Drama. She's a bit of time in London. Uh, apparently it was one of the happiest periods in her life. Uh, it also explains the very weird English accent that she seems to do in some bits of A New Hope. James, have you seen Carrie's first film, Shampoo? No. Have you seen Star Wars? No. <laughs> uh, good to chat. <laughs> <laughs> nice to be here. Who are we talking about? <laughs> Must be out of the house. <laughs> Hans Christian Andersen, my friend. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah she, she did this film, Shampoo, which apparently is pretty good. Burt Reynolds is in it, playing yeah. Sleazebob, so, you know. She uh, had to protect... Oh, yeah, dreadful, horrible stuff. Yeah, but he also directed it, I think, or something. He was involved in yeah. casting it. And he made uh, Carrie Fisher... Like, basically checked out her tits. Oh, was God, like, really? The costume uh, person was like, should she wear a bra or not? And he was like, well, let's see it with a bra. And, oh, no, oh, yeah. take it off, let's see it without the bra. Um, underneath God. a t-shirt it was a good time for <laughs> everybody I, I think I, good job that's all over anyway it's yeah, really nice we eradicated that yeah well done everybody yeah. God, guys Hollywood used to be really problematic didn't it human um, progress <laughs> unlike Star Wars which has no <laughs> issues with it's absolutely fine <laughs> objectification absolutely in it at all absolutely fine <laughs> or even Karen Fisher's boobs yeah, yeah exactly no issues there no issues there I imagine she definitely wasn't expressly told that she had to lose £10 for it. Yeah, or told that you didn't wear bras in space. <laughs> yeah. Something yeah. of a theme. Why? Yeah, she said to George Lucas, why Why don't I wear a bra? And he said, you can't have bras in space because people would strangle themselves on them. I think... It's great. So if you don't have gravity right, mm-hmm. that's going to be good for the boobs. Is it? I just thought... I mean, I'd love to have a gravity-defying bra, but that... Why would the bra then want to kill you? Why does... Why does gravity... Yeah, well, my, my, my guy, I think, in a zero-G scenario, they'd be all over the shop, mate. They would be. They'd be... Fl- yeah, it wouldn't just... It head. wouldn't just be, like, stationary. They oh, wouldn't, my God. No, no, they'd be... It'd be... You'd need... You'd expressly need bars. Basically, you're not strangled by your own boobs, yeah, I think. Yeah, constant motion. The, yeah. It's a genuine... A real thing. Death uh, by motorboating from your own breasts. <laughs> I tell you what, it would honestly, honestly be quite fun, but also potentially even more problematical than what we have. (laughs) (laughs) What the slave girl sequence for Mrs. Slavery's jungle by her own bosoms. I I imagine George Lucas really pushed hard for it for the prequels. (laughs) Probably did. I'm I'm not only going to go into. Star Wars, we all know that Star Wars was a big deal. Apart from James. <laughs> James what seen is it? it? <laughs> Keep mentioning is it. Is it the Kennedy thing? The space the programme? Yeah, it's yeah. the one where they go nanu nanu. Yeah. Um, so, but Carrie would joke that George Lucas ruined her life mm-hmm. uh, because she'd essentially become a megastar, just mm-hmm. like her parents. Mm. 
and I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's, that's bratty to say that that he ruined her life to some extent. He gave her a. Yeah, I also think she was definitely being heavily tongue in cheek whenever she said that Never. as well. <laughs> like, like not Kaz. I think because it's a real, but it's a real dichotomy which I think is central to her is the mm. fact that she grew up obviously in a huge with a huge amount of privilege, but also had a very difficult life, um, which is why I, as a cis white het middle class man, identify with her so strongly. Is the fact that obviously I really struggle, but my life is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Je suis carry. Moi aussi. But yeah, I guess being defined very early on in your career by something, like, I, do, would you stand by your Peter Pan? <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I, just, I wouldn't stand underneath. Are we done now? Thank you, that's And good night. Finally got there. <laughs> Excellent. Oh dear. Right. So when when she died, the Mirror's headline was Princess Leia dead at sixty. I'm jumping ahead of myself, but I think that underlines mm. the way that that role defined her. Yeah. Um. Uh, Carrie was included in the was it the Encyclopedia of Mental Illness? There was a, there was a picture yeah. alongside her, mm. and the one they used was of her as Princess Leia, which gave her leave to quip, "I'm not crazy. That bitch is." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, speaking of which, there she was diagnosed as uh, bipolar or manic depression, uh, as it was formerly known, uh, when she was 24, but uh, apparently did not accept the diagnosis until five years later. No. Uh, she spoke often about her lifelong struggles with both addiction and bipolar disorder and her desire to erase the stigma of mental illness, which I think is the as much as to, to a certain uh, huge section of the world she is Princess Leia to other people who felt less represented and less seen she is an incredibly important figure in 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 the struggle for greater mental health awareness mm. um, which is quite frankly amazing uh, besides the fact that she's the greatest raconteur <laughs> and wit and everything yeah. else that she was I, is that why we love her so much because she that you, every time you try and categorise her, you realise that she's got this other facet to her personality, which is so extraordinary. Yeah, and also the fact that through huge adversity, and also being consistently, except for her fame, and even then as a you know a young famous woman, the power you have is hugely diminished. Mm. Um, consistently put in scenarios that would be disempowering, she managed to m- master it herself. Yeah. And cre- create a world and a space where she had control over it. Yeah. For herself, which is remarkable, and so much of that through humour. Absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of fits with the, how she gave the nicknames to her different moods. Mm. So yeah. She had Roy, uh, who was the wild ride of a mood. Uh, and Pam, who, quote, stands on the shore and sobs, which is incredibly poetic, right? But then yeah. Pam stands for piss and moan. Yeah. And it's just so... It's Karen, so right? her, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. An incredibly difficult thing to deal with. And also exactly not the sort of thing that, as somebody whose life is so, like, public all the time, mm-hmm. you would expect somebody to want to sort of stand up and talk about. Yeah. It's like there's a huge list of incredibly famous people who suffered with bipolar um, uh, and uh, uh, have have been successful, but there are, I'm sure, more famous people who probably do experience severe mental health issues who choose to keep that out of the public eye because it's not for yeah. 
for that and the fact that she chose to be become such a huge advocate of it is testament to the fact that like she's pretty cool yeah absolutely and to speak about having uh, electroshock electroconvulsive mm-hmm. therapy which is so controversial mm-hmm. at the time um, so my my mum my is an amazing woman who I have a very strong connection with uh, but when, when I was growing up she had this really weird habit where I'd be watching a film I'm, I'm going to give two specific examples E.T. and Star Wars mm. where she'd <laughs> sort of make shady comments about key figures and their addictions I've just realised this mm. so like when Drew Barrymore when E.T. says to Drew Barrymore be good my mum would be like she wasn't <laughs> and I, at some point I became aware of the fact that she was she would make the odd comment about Carrie Fisher that was like oh well you know <laughs> mm. <laughs> which and I think but like that is something that filtered through mm. that you're kind of like pop cultural awareness of Carrie Fisher was someone who had problems yeah. Um, and yeah, that was the two things she saw as she was like, if you weren't a Star Wars fan, which I don't think clearly your mum wasn't. No, my mum was not. <laughs> she she was the broad with the with the Danish buns on her head yeah. and mm. had the problems, like or had the public drug addictions or yeah. those yeah. sorts of things. That yeah, it's how she was defined by people that didn't that weren't fans. Yeah, yeah. I do. I like. I am genuinely interested in what you have to because I, cause I know you quite well I know that you have a really good relationship an mm. incredibly close relationship with your mum it is something I obviously Tom, Tom can genuinely cut this out <laughs> um, but like I'm genuinely interested in like how you f- like relate to the Debbie Reynolds Carrie Fisher sort of yeah, yeah. because both you and your mum are strong personalities as well yeah. and you are also incredibly close yeah absolutely and I think because you know us very you know you know me very well and my mum quite well um, she's shown you a bit more of herself than other people. Cause, so my mum is quite performative and she's um, quite fabulous. So like if you met her in a kind of like, you know, bougie theatrical setting, you'd be like, that is a funny camp woman. Mm. Um, or in a swimming pool if you were <laughs> a friend of ours at our wedding yeah. <laughs> who happens to have a twirly moustache. She insisted on splashing him every time she went past when he was hungover. And then when he complained about it, she said, just get in the pool, you Johnny Depp looking cunt. <laughs> Yeah. She did, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think a level of front. Like, I think Deb, when you, there's an amazing podcast with Debbie and Carrie, circa the release of, of uh, the Force Awakens, where they're talking about Star Wars in general, but also singing in the rain, and the sense of com- competition is very palpable. Really? Yeah, I'll it's I'll try and link it in the show notes if I if I can find it. But she's Debbie is trotting out her Hollywood stories, and Carrie's going, "Oh, mom," and kind of letting her do it. Mm. It it's almost like when they started, you know, with Carrie being her backing singer or whatever, mm. they developed more of a double act where they would and and they would they lived next door to each other, didn't they? Like yep. when they were dying and. No, before they died. Sorry, jumping the gun uh, there. Uh, but yeah, they they were very very close, and I think had a reciprocal relationship, which allowed the other one the spotlight. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes maybe Debbie was less accommodating than mm. than others. But towards the end, I think it seemed re- really really polished the act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they had a lot of practice. They had a lot of practice. Yeah, yeah. I think it is definitely something that a lot of women relate to with Carrie Fisher's. Uh, works with her fiction and her autobiographical stuff Um, and also her relationship with Billy as Mm -hmm. well her daughter uh, which seems to be very beautiful and also has a degree of uh, changing status where she apologises to Billy for not being more present when Mm -hmm. she was really struggling with addiction Uh, so I think yeah I think as women we go through phases 
uh, where we alternatively play the mum or we play the child. Yeah. And uh, maybe that's the same for the male experience. I don't know. Well, I'm mainly busy playing the child, but... (laughs) (laughs) One day. One day. One day I'll be a mother. You could play Mr. Darling. (laughs) Or or Nana. (laughs) Be the dog. You were a little barrel around your neck. Everybody were like, why have they got the guy who should clearly be playing Peter Pan playing the dog again? So why is the barrel filled with like three quarters of a shot of Guinness? Whatever it was. That dog's piss, mate. Bailey's whiskey. Remember he bet the Viking on the, on the string? This is just weird. <laughs> oh, lovely. Okay, so Carrie spoke very candidly about her bipolar and was always very pretty op- open about her addictions. In The Princess Diarist, uh, she revealed her affair with Harrison Ford during the filming of the first film. We're going to get into that later. And she writes about being very inexperienced with alcohol. Uh, Harrison was in some really strong weed during the filming of A New Hope. Uh, by the time the old gang gets back together in the filming of Empire, everyone was doing cocaine and Carrie was doing a bit more than the other people. But pills were her favourite. Mm-hmm. Mm. Loved those opiates. Lovely some opiates. In fairness, delicious. Delicious. <laughs> Moorish. As anyone, it was so Moorish. It's a real thing. It's, um, about drugs. It's a real thing about drugs. <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. Especially opiates. Isn't it? It's a real... Uh, 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 and I think uh, with a lot of ce- troubled celebrities mm. who have had addiction issues, it's very often those two it's the cocaine and it's the opiates mm. that are the um, um, you know sleeping pills those sorts of things yeah it's it's well certainly well um, well because the thing with opiates is it's it's directly hitting your dopamine responses it's sort of they are the most they're basically just like their pill form just happiness sort of if it is or or, med- or that's what it's doing to you um, mm. psychologically it's not it's um, it's like a cigarette that it, it fulfills itself it's mm. basically um, so if you, we wanted to just live our lives perfectly happily for the rest of our lives you did take a fair amount of opiates consistently which is presumably what quite a few people were doing yeah or, and or also a huge amount of heroin abuse which heroin is obviously the illegal street form of morphine um, and a huge amount of heroin addiction which isn't I don't think like massively frequently sort of mentioned or talked about comes as a result of medical use of morphine uh, is that has been quite frequently mm. the gateway, and also now there's the huge thing of um, people. So if you need a strong painkiller, you over the counter, you you can't buy cocodamol, which has codeine in it, which is a morph, uh, 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 an opiate. Mm, in it. Yeah, you, yeah. you can't that. buy that without somebody checking why you're buying it. Really? Now, because that has been responsible for so much um, substance abuse. Yes. But they don't need yeah. evidence. They'll just say no. You, but but you. Why you, are you, you doing have this? to be asked. I've yeah. got to have it. Yeah. Yeah. It's an over-the-counter medicine rather than off-the-shelf. All right. Yeah. I'd heard about it being used in purple drink, which has become popular. Like it's, a, it's cough medicine, codeine, and mm-hmm. something else. Speed. No, but speaking of that, um, Carrie suffered a, a near fatal overdose, uh, and it was in the aftermath of that experience that um, she wrote Postcards from the Edge, uh, which is the, in case people don't know, the uh, 1987 semi autobiographical novel uh, in which she fictionalised and satirised her drug addiction uh, of the late 1970s and also her relationship, as we discussed, with her mum. 
Debbie. Yeah. And it, she she went to about the same length as they did in Old Broads to conceal the fact <laughs> they were talking about Eddie Freddie Fisher. Mm. Uh, the character should be called Schmarry Schmisher and <laughs> Schmebby Renoir. Uh, when asked why she didn't play Schmarry, aka Suzanne, in the film, they made a film of Postcards from the Edge, obviously. Uh, Carrie remarked that she had already played Suzanne. So they let Meryl Streep have a go because she needed the work. Mm. Meryl and, and Carrie, great friends. All the way through. Were they? Hmm. Yeah. Well, Meryl Streep, very movingly, after Carrie Fisher died, did a speech at the Golden Globes, yeah. which was beautiful. It's, that's well worth a watch. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, Meryl's an absolute good one, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, it seems like it. Yeah. Unless, yeah, she's competitive with you. Yeah, you see, there you go. There's the thing. Celebrities got bad stories about all of them, don't you? There's always a flip side. Yeah. Carrie Fisher, movie star, award-winning novelist and screenwriter, behind the scenes also script-doctoring on blockbusters such as Hook and Sister Act, all the while managing her addictions and bipolar. She is phenomenal. Uh, So we teased about Harrison Ford earlier, so let's give it a bit of airtime. Right, James, have you read Princess Diaries? I know you have. Yeah. So how do you think the Harrison affair plays out? Out, the it? Harrison affair is an incredible <laughs> political drama. It's the John Grisham yeah, he should have done. Yeah. Um, yeah, what do you think? And also Harrison Ford was great in it. Yeah. Um, yes. Great actor. So good. Um, it is a really interesting one to be, again, it all, the whole, everything is, is, is very story-like in that it all makes sense with her. Mm. Um, it, it, uh, as with so many things, you sort of go like, oh yes, of course that causes that. But look, she was very young when she was doing Star Wars and Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford. Right. And they were in a film together and in close proximity and that, that's quite a big deal. I, there's an incredibly moving bit at the end of the book though, which I find so surprising because of its honesty and openness is so the, the princess diarist is her diaries from when she was filming Star Wars bookended uh, by her thoughts as the woman she was in 2016 I think mm. um, talking about that time uh, and uh, it's wonderful the audiobook is also wonderful very very wonderful and her daughter reads the diaries um, but at the very end she says something about maybe we could give it one more go which yeah. is like a direct address to Harrison Ford in her book, which is about this. And you're like, that's in, like, it's it's an incredible. Like, yeah. it's like uh, absolutely sort of jaw-dropping this whole book, which is very much, seems like it is about that time and about something that has sort of gone. And then it finishes with almost a revelation. But she's so in control of herself that it doesn't seem sort of out of place or out of control. No. It, I mean, this isn't too nerdy a point. I think it's almost like I love you, I know. Mm. It doesn't seem... I don't I don't see that that sequence as being a uh, sort of diminishing of her power. Mm-hmm. I think she's... It's kind of like it's tongue-in-cheek, take it how you like it, but, you know. But also... <laughs> would you? Yeah. <laughs> Calista Flockhart is <laughs> livid in the background. But, yeah, I think it, it's... They're obviously... They were, they were both younger... Uh, he was obviously married and had a lot of the power in that situation. Yeah. Um, and then they spent their careers essentially mm-hmm. next to each other at conventions and all of us spending all our a lot of energy thinking about these two beautiful people being together mm-hmm. in some universe. Um, it's interesting that she was also thinking about that a little bit, maybe, yeah. sometimes. Absolutely. Do you think Harrison Ford read it? 
Probably not. Ooh, I don't know. Does no. he read? He doesn't seem like a reader. Honestly, he doesn't seem. Doesn't like, strike me as a reader. He yeah. doesn't seem like a reader. He seems like a, a shouter, horse rider, a horse yeah. rider, a player. I bet he's got a lot. Sean Ryder, <laughs> a lot of guitars, yeah. but he's really shit at them. Oh, <laughs> I would, I would, I would, put, I would put money down yeah. on the table that Harrison Ford has loads of guitars, but cannot play a single note. <laughs> They wouldn't know where to start. Let's spread this rumour like wildfire. And also, clearly, very stoned. Oh my God, I've just put two and two together. Because Carrie Fisher's dad, and Harrison Ford was older, but Carrie Fisher's dad smoked loads of weed as well. Oh, shit. And you do get the father-daughter Freudian thing, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Like, what could... Um, Eddie Fisher smoked so much weed in his older days that Carrie nicknamed him Puff Daddy. <laughs> He was also Sean Coombs. So. He was also... I mean, uh, it's no... Yeah, it was yeah, his name Snoop was... Lion. But... <laughs> 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 They're talking to people who weren't shit at playing guitars. Uh, Carrie met Pocket Rocket Paul Simon. Yeah. Yeah, who she would marry, divorce and date for a bit, which is something she also got off her dad and her, <laughs> and her mum and her mates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing twice, right? It's very, and again, you talk about them being royalty. It's a very royal way of behaving. Absolutely. Divorced, married, died. Divorced, beheaded, survived. <laughs> it's Hollywood, baby. It's Hollywood just operate entirely on the principle of shag, marry, avoid. <laughs> Pretty much. When... They think it's the... a real game. Yeah. <laughs> so what songs do you reckon Paul Simon wrote for Carrie? Uh, quite a lot, I believe. Yeah, the odd one. Yeah, she came up. Um, but uh, what's spe- the big one you know? The, well, my favourite one is the the, the reference to the roly poly little <laughs> roly poly little bat face girl in Call Me Al, <laughs> which I believe is a girl Carrie Fisher. <laughs> it is. Uh, we had uh, Call Me Al as a hymn at our wedding. Stop going about your wedding. I mean, <laughs> our wedding, this, James. Our wedding. <laughs> this this guy over here managed to slip in. There was a pool earlier. <laughs> the biggest humble brag. It's, it's really like, hard to find not a place without fancy. a pool. In Italy. They're not as fancy as they sound. <laughs> I know. Can we please stress that we're recording this in a very small flat in Tottenham? Oh, <laughs> that's come up. Also, yeah, also a bit of... <laughs> It's, not, it's it's Sainsbury's cheapest wine. It's the cheapest wine. <laughs> there's a wine, lot of tannin. There's a there's lot, lot of tannin. tannin in it. It will make us feel worse. It's not like nice booze like rich people get. Oh, I want the so rich you know, people's booze. You just, it makes your skin better. <laughs> makes you go out with Paul Simon all the time. <laughs> we need to open another one in a second. Uh, so on a break between Paul Simon's, uh, Carrie was briefly engaged to Dan Aykroyd. Lovely. Which you met on Bruce Brothers. Calm, Dr. I imagine. Dr. Ray Stance. <laughs> what? Dr. Ray Stance. Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. That's his name. They were briefly engaged, and mm. there's some sort of tale about... Basically, Dan Aykroyd gave Carrie the Heimlich manoeuvre when she was choking on a Brussels sprout, mm-hmm. and or, at the end of it, brought out a ring. Mm-hmm. I mean, l- many parts of that story are probably totally apocryphal, mm-hmm. but she really latched on to it and told it several times. <laughs> of course so. she did. You could say whatever you want sometimes. <laughs> it was her Millfield Arts Centre. <laughs> So it's about time that we gave you a little extra. Stra- oh, it's about time that we gave you a little extra snack. Wow! Because we'd be extra. Yeah. Uh, what kind of extra snack do you think we've made for you for Carrie Fisher? Okay, for Carrie Fisher, I would say probably a phenomenal amount of fast food, uh, some painkillers and vodka, and obviously that 
I guess, a genuine response rather than particularly a joke should have come with a content warning. We've got chicken wings marinated in Coca-Cola with a cinnamon bun, followed by a martini. Yeah! Yes. Exact terminology is goddess or prima donna. Exactly. So it could be either, so be either or. an insult or a compliment. A compliment. Hello, we're back. Uh, we've had some chicken wings. We've had uh, some cinnamon buns. We've got a sweet, sweet martini. Got a sweet, sweet martini. We've followed Carrie from inbred Hollywood cradle to intergalactic ingenue, powerhouse author via rehab, and a few broken hearts and bones. So we touched on Carrie's pioneering attitude towards uh, uh, towards greater mental health awareness, uh, but she also championed uh, loads of other causes, obviously uh, relating to equality, uh, so women's rights, uh, LGBTQ plus rights, uh, and defied stigma to publicly support sufferers of uh, AIDS and HIV related illnesses from the earliest point of the epidemic. Yeah. Carrie um, was very active in the community and had lots of gay friends coming in and out of her life and uh, after Paul Simon she ended up uh, in a relationship with Brian Lord who Carrie didn't realise was in fact homosexual. Um, I think the way she describes that in Wishful Drinking is really touching. Her and Brian did have a physical relationship. And they made their beautiful daughter, Billy Lord, who is, I think, someone really interesting mm. in terms of the work that they're choosing to do. Now, so I seems to have come to being an actor quite late because in Wishful Drinking, when she's like a sort of mid-teenager, mm. she's talking about doing anything other than acting, really, isn't she? And now she's in American Horror Story and I think it's... Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah. yeah. And yeah, she is the product of this short relationship with Brian Lord. Um, and then, have you ever seen the footage of uh, Carrie? It's during the Wishful Drinking tour, so the book Wishful Drinking that we've alluded to a couple of times. She performed as a, a one-woman show, and it is a tour de force, is it not? It's really wonderful. It's pretty fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. And there's footage of her doing a version of uh, Judy Garland's classic, The Man Who Got Away. Mm-hmm. The man that I turned gay. Hmm. Uh, it's, an, it's it's well worth a YouTube. Um, yeah, another significant relationship in Carrie's life was with the uh, her friend Greg Greg Stevens, who sadly passed away in two thousand and five. Uh, Stevens was not a boyfriend, uh, although the press widely reported that he was when he was found dead in her bed, which, as Carrie joked, made him a very bad house guest. Um, so. James, you you remember this episode from Wishful Drinking? Yes. Uh, why was why was he in her bed? Oh, because uh, she had one guest room and her bedroom, and because there was a gay man and a gay woman. Uh, there were a gay man and a gay woman staying with her, and she thought it would be less weird if she stayed with a gay man. Yeah, and uh, they buried the lead because he was actually a Republican, and that was far more shocking to have a Republican in her bed than. In fact, uh, a friend. Um, and yeah, I think another really nasty brush with sort of tabloid fever for her. Mm. I mean, I, 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 know, I didn't hear about this. I, it, it, that must have. So. Yeah, I know, but I would have been aware because yeah. I was a huge Star Wars fan. Like it, yeah. Just Carrie Fisher, anything in the news would have just popped up for me. But yeah. That's, I'd never heard this story until. I was pretty drunk in 2005, so no, no real <laughs> oh, memory. Babe, I was not drunk. Yeah. <laughs> But no, it's just like. But also, on top of the tabloid and the stuff, the the, the publicity surrounding it, just a genuinely horrific thing to wake up in a bed next to your friend and they're not alive anymore. Horrendous. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. thank you. Yeah, and it sent her on a on a, another downward spiral. On, on you know, unsurprisingly. Yeah, absolutely. And also has a sort of weird prescient thing as well about it, in the fact that he, uh, that he, Stephen suffered from sleep apnea and mm. enjoyed uh, taking pills. 
Uh, and the cardiac incident, which would sadly take the life of Carrie, uh, was of course preceded by an episode of sleep apnea mm-hmm. and precipitated by damage that was done to her heart by her addictions. Her yeah. Just, yeah, one of those things that just, oh, just real really sad. It's a bit spooky and tingly, isn't it? Mm. Uh, especially when you hear her on the audiobook of Wishful Drinking talking about sleep apnea and you oh. know that she's going to, it's going to play a part in her passing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's not get too sad because uh, we've still got more to enjoy uh, before we get to that bit. Uh, the last great love of Carrie's life was, of course, Gary, mm-hmm. her emotional support French <laughs> bulldog. Gen- genuinely like obviously emotional support dogs there is medical science backing up but also I definitely feel like that that while is a huge part of the relationship that Carrie Fish with, uh, Fisher had with her French bulldog also I think she definitely loved the fact that it just meant she could bring a dog wherever she wanted <laughs> and no one could do a fucking thing about it <laughs> no one it. was going to like argue with her she'd just be like yeah here's my dog <laughs> that's, that's big diva energy, right? That is big diva energy. Yeah, that is pure big diva energy. Yeah. yeah, I've heard about this thing called emotional support bulldog. Yes, of course. I mean, that technically applies, but also I'm just, I, I just get to bring my fucking dog yeah. to interviews. Yeah, because I think she, she's the first woman we've covered uh, in this series, and when also when we're expanding women, uh, diva to mean anybody of any gender, but we do associate diva with singer, obviously, and Carrie could. She could sing, but that's not why we're talking about her today. Mm. We're talking about her possessing this thing, this BDE, this this innate quality to do things which are just a little bit extralent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think having a support dog called Gary is 100% in that category. Yeah, Gary is genuinely wonderful. So a rescue dog, not like a a very posh, sort of perfect dog, a massive tongue. Why was it so long? I mean, honestly, longer than its face, like an anteater. And I I adore dogs and clearly adore Gary, but not pleasant to look at. No, No. not a treat for the eye. Not not like, oh, you wouldn't put that in a room. (laughs) Not that you have to look at. (laughs) Quite jammer-esque as well. Which might have been quite triggering for her. Yeah, that, you that think. big old tongue. Yeah. Although, actually, when she escapes from Jabba, that's the last thing that happens to him. His tongue lolls out of his oh, mouth, doesn't it? So, actually, she might, might have been quite comforting. And she did talk about, famously from that bit, absolutely loving strangling Jabba the Hutt. Sure. Because she hated the rest of it so much. <laughs> we haven't really spoken much about the Princess Leia bikini, so maybe we should throw that open to talk about the the way that that has if you type Carrie Fisher into Google I imagine it's probably one of the, the third image hits the aforementioned it? problematic slave girl fantasies. yeah mm. well it's, it's like she is one of the icons of objectification of yeah. the 20th century uh, there are, what other images are there of people which are more famous Marilyn Monroe mm. yeah no, that a- shitty poster that everyone had at university of the two girls kissing on a bed I don't even know what you're so less for me. I yeah. don't know what that is. Okay. Uh, that all the one... guys eating their lunch on the Empire State Building? Yeah. Mm. Really objectifying the shit out of those cunts. <laughs> 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 sexy, These sexy Scarface poster? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of Heidi Klum giving the finger. Um, uh, yeah, so, and I think for our generation, that episode of Friends brought it up again. Yeah. Uh, well, that was, yeah, that was the point, wasn't it? That was that sort of whole. The thing of going, it's a, it's one of the ma- it's the main boy fantasy, mm-hmm. Princess Leia in the gold bikini. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and honestly, I mean, sure, yeah, a huge but because as films that are definitely aimed to be accessible to children, and <laughs> th- th- like 
becoming a teenage boy when that was out, obviously a huge part of a lot of people's sexual awakenings, which is fine because people grow up, etc. But the the world around it is so bizarre and the way that she was subsequently treated and talked to by people is so inappropriate. Yeah. And, and... uh, not not understandable. Yeah. Um, like people would frequently talk about how they, she was the first person they'd wanked to, and, and they like, tell her that where, to her face. Where do you mean, like at, at comic con conventions? And stuff. Yeah, yeah, conventions. And I just imagine when they saw her, yeah, just being like. I think you could you can sometimes feel the acid with it a little bit when she talks about it or writes mm-hmm. about it. I hope that doesn't happen for Daisy Ridley in thirty years' time. She'll get old men coming up to her and telling her, you know. Well, I well, think. I think oh, no, you go. Sorry. Oh, thanks. Um, I think the films sexualize her a lot less than yeah, they the do. original yeah. Yeah. Tr- trilogy. So that I I feel like that is one of the things that is really good. Yeah. Is the female characters in the sequels. She is. Uh, she's. They're trying. They're placing her as a Luke character rather yeah. than a Leia character. Yeah. Not that that. But not not in, as in the idea that, that she she should be a male character mm. versus the the original female character, but the idea that. The positioning of those characters within the original films has has shifted in terms of the gender of them. Like yeah, and also a lot has been made about the journey from princess to general with yep. with her character, yeah. which I don't necessarily take as a success to be honest, because I don't think I mean princess is is a is a loaded gendered term, isn't it? Mm. But necessarily. I don't think her femininity is something that needs to be repressed. Hmm. I think her femininity needs to be something that wasn't fetishized. Yeah. And um, I understand that, like, militarizing her Mm. removes her from the sphere of wank fantasies because she's more powerful than you, which is troubling. Mm -hmm. General is a loaded male term. Yeah. It's a a loaded term based based on masculinity, which is problematic for a lot of people as well. Yeah. In different ways, and also at that point, she was still people were still trying to force her to lose weight and telling yeah. her that she didn't look right for the films. Mm-hmm. And you, you go, that, that's the issue here, not what the title of the character is. It's yeah. how the character is written. I think that yeah, I think that people's response to her becoming general layer is slightly missing the point and mm. it is sort of a bit of one of those things where you sort of go look, look we've solved it yeah we changed the name and you're yeah. like that wasn't the point it's like prince princess isn't necessarily the the problem here it's what princess means in the context of this film absolutely i mean i i personally prefer when i uh, when i used to gain work as a an, as a performer i preferred actress to actor because uh i feel like it is a different job being a female working in the entertainment industry and i think it's it was appropriate to gender that but princess isn't a job uh, so yeah i totally it's an interesting discussion to have i think isn't it and also like it's not the, the way they they have written her in the new films has got increasingly uh, has has done a, a lot of work in the sense that uh, this scene for me one of the most affecting things uh, scenes in one of the the recent films was the bit when uh, she meets Ray for the first time mm. and they have the hug and it's just like this is I I know it was meant to do a lot of other things as well like in terms of like characters meeting each other and universes entering other universes and this whole idea of Star Wars like turning in on itself somehow like there was this kind of idea but also that that idea of like female companionship Mm -hmm. and uh, empathy with each other like I think was like something that we'd not seen in Star Wars Mm. specifically but yeah definitely in Star Wars if not 
sort of traditionally male orientated nerd culture. Yeah. Is that? Yeah, I think so. It's also, I think you've brushed on something which I like to try and nail down, which is this idea of that sort of that moment of her hugging Daisy Ridley in a film is a thing that she consistently managed to do through her life in so many different ways of Mm. becoming, but being both inside and outside the reality and the a-reality of the things she did in a way that was peculiarly her and real and part of the real world because you're getting the real world moment of Carrie Fisher hugging Daisy Ridley at the same time as you have the characters hugging and it's something that she sort of broke the fourth wall of everything that she was in. The Blues Brothers like, uh, appearance that she does is kind of is, is sort of weirdly meta like yeah. she's sort of playing a, this you, there's a slight wink to the camera yeah. in everything that she's doing in that film and yeah, yeah. and, and then I think a lot of her latter day appearances in like playing a therapist in Sex and the City she sort of she she brings with her the energy of a of a grand dame or a sort of an, a, a, a comparatively elder stateswoman mm. when she interacts with other women, which well, is really nice. What about catastrophe? How do you see that? <sighs> I loved her in catastrophe. Yeah. She kind of does more with Rob, doesn't she? She's got more scenes with mm. Rob, um, but obviously it's really Sharon by it. Sharon Horgan, yeah. So yeah, and and I I, I like her being um, foul mouthed as mm. well. I think and and actually quite an. unsympathetic character isn't she she's quite um, purposefully cold and Rob complains about her lack of yeah Yeah, yeah, not empathy uh, but um, her lack of ability to connect maternal instincts and Mm -hmm. things like that it's sort of it's almost like it's almost like her kind of taking her role as a woman and inverting that, but also inverting this image of her because actually she was incredibly maternal and had those and, and was had those maternal instincts about huge amounts of her friends and people that she knew and mm. not necessarily people that were connected to her uh, bodily like weren't connected to her mm. uh, biologically but. yeah yeah absolutely so uh, as much as it pains me I think we should probably talk about her untimely passing mm-hmm. um, she's got a couple of posthumous releases that we will be seeing we're going to see her in the next film which hopefully by the time we put this episode out we will all be about to see uh, we could also look forward to her being in uh, Wonderwell with Rita Ora. Um, I don't know which one I'm going to be more excited about. You got your tickets? I uh, booked them. Uh, I usually go and see Wonderwells in the morning. Yeah, the on morning the, they come on the out. day after. Well, mm-hmm. the day after the midnight they come out. Mm. James, you have a different. Yeah, I go and watch the Star Wars at midnight when they come out. I'm part of the Espresso Martini Squadron, who are distinctly cooler than the losers who watch it in the morning. We're morning crew, but I think I want to switch to the dark side. It's nice to drink and watch. I like drinking. Yeah, and you like also a lion. Love a lion. I love imagine. to sleep. <sighs> Tom is looking very unhappy about this. <laughs> <laughs> we lost Carrie Fisher in December 2016 at 60. Uh, she died as she said she would, strangled by her own bra. Uh, Billy Lord stated that Fisher battled drug addiction and mental illness her entire life and ultimately died of it. She was purposefully open in all of her work about the social stigmas surrounding these diseases. I know my mom; she'd want her death to encourage people to be open about their struggles, uh, which is a beautiful sentiment. The generosity when you're when you've just lost a parent to be thinking about how their death means something to other people is yeah pretty incredible. Wouldn't it be great if that was reflected in the actual heads of state of our country? It'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
Didn't see Carrie hanging out with fucking Epstein, did you? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get to the kind of spooky woo-woo part of this, which is that um, uh, Debbie Reynolds suffered a stroke on hearing the news yeah. uh, that par- Carrie had passed, and, and then she passed away the next day. And that is... There's something in- shiver-inducing about that, I think. Especially because mm. she told Todd, apparently, I just want to be with Carrie. Mm. Which is desperately sad. Yeah. Um, so Carrie wrote... Uh, hilariously about the Star Wars fan base and was I think very fair and balanced as we've discussed when dealing with their interactions and, and gave as much as she could uh, but also as she took from it her Leia lap dances just to be very clear she called the signings at Comic Con <laughs> lap dances she wouldn't do lap dances at the Comic Con no, no <laughs> that, that is a crucial distinction uh, but their response to her passing is something that would be nice to talk about I think Oh, oh, the the Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so in the absence of a star for Carrie on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, has she got one now? I don't, has anyone? I, she fucking better. Yeah, I mean, I guess if all those other people are going to have one. Yeah. Yeah. Donald Trump's got one. one. What? Yeah, you have to. Well, you have to pay for them yourself, I think. Yeah, but why does things. he have yeah. one? He's, Home Alone 2, as far as I'm concerned, is his only cinematic appearance. I don't care, but it's nice that you do. <laughs> Sure. It's not the issue I have with the guy. Says the man. <laughs> <laughs> he just gets things he wants. Fair enough. <clears throat> uh, in the absence of uh, Carrie having her own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame at the time, uh, the fans created their own memorial using a blank star, along with flowers and candles, and words put on the blank star read, Carrie Fisher, may the force be with you always. Hope. Uh, which is, oh, that's made me a little bit misty because, like, you know, it's the the original thing that she did. It's got that 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 a new hope is the mm. is the thing, and also like maybe you know that's kind of what she was about, right? Like, I don't know. Anyway, uh, in the video game Star Wars: The Old Republic, thousands of fans paid tribute to Fisher by gathering at House Organa on the planet Alderaan. On January the 6th, 2017, the lights on Broadway in Manhattan were darkened for one minute in honour of Carrie and Debbie. And that's why I gave Tom all the bits about death. So he'd get sad. <laughs> so he'd do a cry. It's a very healthy relationship they have, and I am proud to have been the celebrant of their wedding. Tommy loves to cry. Tommy loves to cry. Oh, Holly loves it when he cries. <laughs> It's a weird thing. Uh, it is. It is really uh, sad and wonderful. And uh, while we just bookend this conversation about the end of Carrie Fisher's life, um, we should probably address the fact that some of her ashes are in a giant Prozac pill. <laughs> yep. I mean, you, we, you, when you got to go, you got to go. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a strong. It's a strong bit, isn't it? <laughs> it's, <laughs> She died as she lived. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so as much as we're all a bit misty now and have had some drinks... Uh... <laughs> oh, I'm quite... Just to be clear, if any of the things I've said that have made it through the edit make any sense, then that is a coincidence. <laughs> I think Carrie Fisher is the sort of person who inspires people to feel like they knew her and we feel mm-hmm. having... In, um, engage with her work on mm. multiple platforms or any platform and even if you've just seen her be and she's been 
the princess for you is a little person and now you go and read her books she is funny and warm and uh, multifaceted and it's lovely to talk about her life and laugh and cry at the same time so yeah we were lucky to have her uh, we... mainly because she never did anything like you did to Tiger Lily <laughs> <laughs> oh, not even no. at her lowest ebb not even at her lowest <laughs> Yeah. Thank you, Carrie Fisher. And thank you, James, for coming and talking about her. Uh, was there anything you'd like to plug? I consistently perform my shows. My Twitter handle is at JDS Roland. And until I, I become a real grown up and make myself some sort of Squarespace space based website, uh, <laughs> that's where you'll find my tour dates. Amazing. Uh, please do go and see uh, Songs of Friendship wherever you can because uh, it is, I think, it has a. Uh, bit of DNA in common with Carrie's work it is funny and you will cry and you will have a life affirming experience so thank you so much James for coming thank you we hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Deeper Energy if you did and want to reach out and say hey girl maybe share your own Carrie related stories particularly if they are actually about Carrie the musical the original Stratford production don't waste my time with the revival thank you or just tell us which diva means the most to you uh, you could tweet us at Diva Energy or email us at BigDivaEnergyPod at gmail.com. This podcast is a Dark Mutters production. If, like the Shen Yun Dance Troops Orchestra, you found it to be very, very on top, please don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasting needs. <laughs> Alternatively, if you found this episode to be very, very shocking, get, get in, in the, the sea! sea. Ta. Bye. Bye. Say bye, James. Thank <laughs> you.